All right, well, welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Brian, one of the pastors here. Uh, I have the honor of bringing the word of God to us this morning. Uh, how many of our men are out there? Men, let me hear you. What's up, men? Give us a grunt or something. I'm going to ask Jim and Chris to come on up. Jim and, uh, and Chris and myself have started a new clothing line, a new brand. Uh, it's called Triple G Ministries. Uh, where, where is Jim? Oh, okay, yeah, so come on up, Jim. So, um, man, sometimes just in life you need some encouragement. Uh, so we started... Yeah. We started Triple G Ministry uh, just to, to say, Jim, you're just such a good, good, good father. Uh, you're a great provider. Uh, I'm so proud of you. Uh, Chris, I, I'm just always amazed at what you do for your family. Uh, basically, it's because our egos uh, are, are drained constantly, and we want to, it's just a little joke. So if you want in on... Brian, I'm glad you got your wife pregnant a while back. So th thank you, thank you. So, yeah, so... <laughs> you're, you're uh, yeah, and, uh, wrong sermon. We'll see you later. Uh, so... We just, we've been joking around about Triple G Ministries starting a whole man uh, company uh, just to say, you're doing a good job, Ben. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, it was a joke, people. Okay. <laughs> so, church on sale for 1995. Uh, man, it's been a long week. It's been a great week. Love week. We look forward to it every single year. And just some amazing things happened. Uh, one of the cool things that happened is when we filled this room on uh, Tuesday and fed the, the teachers, this room was full. Um, a, a baseball coach from West Wilkes High School um, uh, gave me something. Uh, honey, can you bring Kate up here? Uh, so Drew Ward, Tony, you're going to have to step up your game, bro. Uh, we, over here in the corner, if y'all ever see a fight almost break out, it's because North High baseball coach and West High baseball coach uh, sit back there in the back. So, um, but I walked in, and Drew Ward gave, gave me this bag, and uh, it had some T-shirts in it. So it was real cool, just a couple T-shirts. So, uh, and I started looking through. I was like, wow, how cool. He's like, this is for Cade. Uh, just stuff for Cade and a bag, a cool bag. And then I, I saw this, and I'm like, what is this? So I opened it up, and I saw that it was a recruitment letter <laughs> and a significant amount of money, fake money. And I just want to read this letter to you. All right, Cade, you haven't heard this read out loud yet, so this is, you're going to have to make a decision by the end of today. Cade McDevitt, the coaches at West Wilkes High School were very impressed with what we have seen so far from your recruiting videos on Instagram. We really think the laser beams that you shoot from your eyes could be an incredible, useful in our program. Tony, they're cheating, so you better watch. Uh, these are, however, a few things we'd like for you to work on. Growth and strength. <laughs> Hand-eye coordination. <laughs> Hitting left-handed and off-speed and top-hand drills. So we're, we're working on those, okay? All right, Cade. Well, we hope that your parents will make the right decision and make you a part of our program. Keep up the good work. Let us know if we can be of assistance. P.S. The money is for your mom. The shirt is for your dad. <laughs> so no uh, recruitment uh, things have been violated. So, Cade... Uh, 
I'm looking forward to Tony's uh, response to this from North High. So uh, just looking forward to that. That kid is going to be so embarrassed by me. Uh, but just love week, man. Uh, it was just unbelievable. At the end of our service, I'm going to go ahead and tell you how we're going to respond up front in case you check out. But up here on our prayer boards on either side and in, in the back across our mission wall are papers that the teachers and the principals and administrative staff from our schools filled out with prayer requests. And at the end of the service, you're going to have a chance to take those. I'll explain a little bit more in just a little bit. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 23, if you want to, uh, 22, if you want to get there. Because today I want to preach on love your neighbor. Uh, and it's the second greatest commandment. And we've been doing, we, on week two of a series called You Already Know. Last week we talked about you already know there's a God. And just simply put, nobody's without excuse. The whole world already knows, even if they deny that God exists. And we talked about just the idea of how you share your faith is coming from that perspective and talking to people's worldview and just asking them, well, where do they get truth? How do they believe what they believe? You don't have to uh, understand, uh, you know, physics or biology or, you know, just understanding how space and, you know, light speed and all these kind of things just scientifically or philosophically or biologically, all these things that may take you years to understand and you should understand them. It's great to understand the complexity of the human body and of the earth and how God designed all of that. But we talked about if you were to meet an atheist and you ask them this question, if I were to prove with evidence that God was real, would you worship him? Most of them are going to say no. So it's not a, a matter of whether or not we present the, the greatest evidence and we win arguments. It comes to the point where they need to repent of their sin and receive Christ as Savior. Because do you understand the things that we believe? We believe the Bible says an axe head floated to the top of water, a man raised from the dead, a donkey spoke. Well, without a God, those things are impossible to believe. So why do we try to prove those things until a person comes to faith in Christ and then they understand there's nothing impossible with God? Well, you know those things. But see, we talked about you might, not, you might know them, but are they in your heart because you obey what you believe? So I want to bring another one today. We're going to talk about love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Love Week, uh, 158 volunteers, 1,208 hours, over 250 meals were served. At Love Week, carpet pulled, walls tore down, a hundred yards of a creek, a creek bank was cleared at Eckerd, wood was moved and stacked, and over probably over 15,000 people we got to greet and love on coming into Faith Fest. I mean, that's all well and good, unless it becomes a week on celebration's calendar, instead of something deep inside of our heart where we get outside of ourselves. Because today you already know that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Because you know it's better to love your neighbor. Answer out loud, yes or no. Is it better to love your neighbor or to kill them? Love your neighbor. Yeah, answer yes or no. That, that wasn't. So yes, it's better. Wouldn't you agree to love your neighbor than to kill them? Well, Ryan, you haven't met my neighbor. Well, so, well that, that may be the case. Well, Brian, you don't know my boss. You know, uh, well, here's the deal. I know who Jesus is. 
And I know who he says that we are. And to represent that, I just want to get into the text and look at that because we talked about to know anything. For you to know that it's better to love your neighbor as yourself, to know anything, you have to know everything, or you have to have revelation from the one who does know everything. So an atheist has no basis to know anything because it ends nowhere. Everything is based upon society or their own feelings. And we base our belief in an eternal God who has a moral standard of perfection. He's never made a mistake. And we stand in that truth, and he gives us revelation of that truth. Why is it wrong to kill your neighbor? Because God said so. Why is it right to love your neighbor? Because God said so. And I know we live in the Bible Belt, and that, almost, that might sound almost especially with my southern accent like uh, a hit country preacher. Well, God bless, God said so. Well, that's really what we've got to get back to is the foundation. So many people believe something, and they call themselves Christian, believe something different than what Scripture says. One of the most simple things to take care of your wrong doctrine and my wrong doctrine is to read your Bible and believe what it says. You're wrong if you read something and you think the Bible is wrong. There's no contradictions in the Bible because why? Because God can't contradict himself. God has given us a full revelation of what he wants us to know and see and become in the scriptures. I was just talking with one of our celebrators and we've had several conversations just working on some discipleship stuff and we got back to so many of us, I've heard celebrators and Christians alike say things like, well, I don't read my Bible much, but I pray all the time. Let me help you with something. If you're not reading your Bible, but you're praying all the time, don't trust any of your prayers. Because your prayer life needs to be inspired and directed by the Word of God. So it's not a, a, I got this part of my spiritual life right. You've got to start with the Word of God and out of that become obedient out of your love for Jesus. So it's reasonable that we should love our neighbor and not kill them. God says so. So knowing something isn't the problem. It's obeying something. It's obeying what we know. The demons know, but they don't obey. One day they will. So what I want to try to accomplish over the next, this week and two more, and last week is just to say, hey, celebration, let's step up in our love for God, and out of that obedience just flows. I don't think we have a knowledge problem. For us to sweep across with the power of the Holy Spirit across our uh, county and our region, our state and our nation, is not a knowledge problem. We have access to anything you want to know. It may not be accurate, but Google it. Google anything. As you are typing the question, before you even get done with the question, it will show you somebody's already asked the question before. You're like, oh, okay, click. I don't think that's right. It's not a knowledge problem. It's an obedience problem. See, we often know more than we do. So a lot of times we just do nothing because we know too much. I call it spiritual obesity. Our churches are spiritually obese with knowledge. But we're not not functional in our obedience out of love. 
Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. If you're there, say, I am. All right, awesome. Uh, I, I love for you to bring your Bible. I know uh, you can use your phone, and that's, that's so smart. You got a smartphone, uh, but I'd love to hear uh, the, the pages turned. But Matthew chapter 22, I want to start in verse 34. This is the greatest commandment. Okay, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the, Fer- uh, uh, the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest com- commandment in the law? Jesus re- replied, love the Lord your God. Let me just pause there. How many of you have heard this verse before? Raise your hand, just raise it up. Okay, so either we should all go home because we have knowledge of this, or let's just open up and see if God will do something in our hearts, not just in our brains. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is making a big statement. He's saying two things, if you'll remember them and love me and do them, then it'll take care of all other commandments. If we were Jewish and we were living by the law, there would be over 630 commands that we would have to know and obey. And Jesus, God steps out of the throne of heaven and walks and he says, everything that you need to obey, if you'll remember these two things, And the first one is the command to love. I was telling Dennis this morning, I had people come up to me and like they they have like drug addiction or they're going through, they're committing adultery or or they just had this heinous sin. And I know all sins are the same, blah, blah, blah. No, they're not. Uh, But they all have different consequences. Before God, they all will separate you from God for eternity. But sin, different sins have different consequences. But the big five, whatever they may be in your mind, let's say somebody had committed them. Almost all of those people, if I've had a conversation with them, they will say this, man, I'm struggling in this area, but I love God with everything in me. And I go, no, you don't. See, a lot of times we want to throw out a statement that makes us look good. You know what? None of us in this room... Few of us in this room rarely love God with everything all the time. I probably can say none of us. So it's a constant thing that Jesus would put this out in the forefront of all other commands to love God with everything. Why would he say that? Because Jesus knew that that would be the foundation in which you lived your life. And then he said the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. See, all of you have a powerful self-protective mechanism. I had a student in my student ministry years ago. His name was Stephen. He actually contacted me on Facebook talking about wanting to surrender to ministry. He ended up uh, graduating from uh, the the military school. Help me out. I just went blank. Uh, Huh? No, not Citadel. Anyways, so uh, a military school graduated top of West Point. Thank you. Those other ones, are they really 
more popular than West Point. So he graduated from West Point, top of his class. But this kid, I knew he was going to be like maybe like special ops, one of those people that they erased their name off of history and they just really don't exist, one of those really scary people. Uh, because this kid at a uh, water park that had a 30-foot high dive, I said, Stephen, you won't go up on the high dive and do a belly flop. And this kid just walked off the high dive, just in great shape kid, and he went like this and hit the water. And I was like, and he comes out, no pain on his face. I'm like, there's something wrong with this kid. I said, you won't do it again. And he walked right back up and did it again. I couldn't get anybody else to do it. That kid set a precedence that day of don't mess with me. But this kid, this kid had no self-preservation mechanism in his body. But most of us do. Most of us, we won't sacrifice to the point uh, often where, where it will cost us something. Because guess what? You all want to live with satisfaction. That's okay. You want food for yourself. You want clothes for yourselves. You want a place to live for yourselves. You want protection from violence for yourself. You want meaningful and uh, pleasant activity to fill your days. You want some friends to like and to spend some time with you. You want a life to count in some way. All of this is self-love, and Jesus is just bringing up a, a very important part. Your self-love, this deep longing to diminish pain and increase happiness, that's what Jesus is saying when he says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Those longings, those yearnings that you have for pain to be gone, for pleasure to be in your life. He says, when you see the world, everybody that's not you, I want you to love them that way. Turn back to Matthew 7. Just turn a few pages back in your Bible to Matthew 7. Uh, because Jesus said this similar once before. This isn't the first time Jesus has brought this idea to people in public. Matthew 7 and verse 9, it says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? My son hasn't asked for anything yet, uh, so I don't know how to answer this question yet. Uh, so, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you, uh, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to those who ask him. So Jesus is saying, hey, look at the way the Father treats you. And then he says, so in, everybody say everything. Do to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I hear a pattern here. Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And Jesus just says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is obviously saying the stakes should be high in your life in the way that you invest into God's kingdom. In fact, you should push it all in. I don't understand why we don't get this as a church, as people who call themselves Christians. I don't know why when I look in the mirror, I don't get this every day. That, say, let's use a poker analogy and chips. So I wake up in the day and I got all the chips that represent my life that day. And I decide where to either to push them in for the day or to hold some back. And most of us, we throw like one chip in for Jesus 
and then we hold everything back and try to secure it. When Jesus is saying, hey, you don't understand. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength with everything. Put everything in. And then the result is going to be love your neighbor as yourself. So write this down if you're taking notes. Invest all of my life in loving God and loving others. Just for a second, I'm going to pause for about five, ten seconds, and I want you to think about everything that is part of your life and see if you've invested it somehow into the purpose of bringing God glory. Just think about that for a second. Your children, your job, your stuff. Because Jesus is saying, everything is summed up in this. Everything hangs on this. Everything that matters in your life hangs on this. So if Jesus says everything hangs on this, are you hanging everything on this? I'm blown away at how simple Jesus was and how complicated I make things. See, we can only love God when we become regenerated in our hearts. So don't feel the pressure of this if you don't know Christ. And I didn't say, and what I mean by know is not know him as you've gone to church your whole life. I mean know him in your regenerated heart. I was listening to a, a, a sermon just this past weekend. It, it, it was at a funeral and... A guy that got up and shared, he said, look, God does not tell, God says, do not judge. And we've talked about this before. God does not say that. Jesus never said, don't judge. He says, don't judge lest you be judged by the measure in which you judge people. And then he goes on to say, take the, the big old two before out of your eye before you take the speck of dust out of someone's eye so that you can help your brother. So Jesus implies that we're going to make judgments. So... But here what Jesus is saying, if you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbors yourself, you're going to judge people correctly in the sense of you help them. It's going to become part of your life. Everything hangs on this. Even your judgment of this world hangs on what you do with God and what you do with other people. Everything hangs on it. It is the purpose of your creation. It is why we are here. Love for God comes visible when we love others. Or you could say it this way. Our love for God is fulfilled when we love other people. You cannot say, you cannot, don't ever utter it again. I'll try not to myself. If you are not actively loving people, you cannot say that you are actively loving God. Well, Brian, where do you get that? We just read it. I'm wrong if I think that I'm in love with Jesus and I'm not actively loving our community. That's why we do love week. Man, I was blown away. I can also see my age. I'm only 40. My wife's 41 now. Just going to throw that out there. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. She's like a month and a half older than me. But I noticed like at Love Week this week, just like my endurance in, in like the physical labor, I was just like, man, it's starting to catch up. But 
even if my ability to do things physically starts to dwindle, that does not give me excuse to not love people. And t- as long as there's breath in my lungs and blood running through my veins and God gives me life, I must be active. And if I am loving God with everything, I will be. It is the result of truly loving God. I love that. Paul wrote this in Romans. He says for, uh, in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it, weak, it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man. Jesus wasn't. Jesus never sinned, but he came and he looked like us to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. So we do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So you got two ways that you live, in self-reliance, the sinful nature, or in God-reliance, the spiritual nature. So when we get up in the morning, the whole direction of our day is going to be what we push our chips in. The self-reliance, I can do this, I got this, or God, I don't have any of this, I'm going to walk with you. The Bible talks so much about unity in the spirit, and I just dream of this day when it it just feels like we take a step together to reach our community, where everybody, boy, girl, man, woman, where we all take a step in the Spirit because we are called the body of Christ. How many of you have a body part that isn't working so well right now? Okay, yeah, it's like something's broke, something ain't right. Well, this is often like the church where I would be able to run and do that and reach those people, but man, my leg's messed up. Last fall, I tore both of my quads playing softball. I'm still not over that. I just got a phone call like yesterday saying, hey, do you want to be on the roster? I'm like, yeah. But I'm going to be like those guys that go click and go to first base. The problem is I've got to hit and run because I'm not the size of most of those guys. Well, what's wrong? Well, my body does not work like it used to. So we, I'm part of a team, and we're part of a team. So if you can fix what's broken spiritually, which most of us can, spiritual growth is the one thing that should not fade as you get older. Physical health will. There's nothing you can really do about that. You're going to die. John McCain, I just saw this morning on Twitter, passed away. I was like, whoa. His mom's 107, still alive. That's crazy. But guess what? One day, she will stand before God too. We all will. But spiritually, as a church reaching people, we should do nothing but grow in a greater love for God and a greater love for people. So Paul, in other words, was saying this. Fulfilling the law is loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's not something we can do on our own. We do it by the power of the Spirit. He's saying, hey, if you want to fulfill the law, you've got to do it in the Spirit's power because man cannot do it. This is why you have to be a Spirit-walking son or daughter of God. 
You have to trust the Spirit. Well, Brian, how do I know when the Spirit is speaking? The Spirit will speak and confirm what Scripture says. If, the, if you feel that somebody says something to you and the Spirit speaks to you, then you find it doesn't line up with Scripture, the Bible says it's false. It's a false teacher. Whenever a preacher stands on this stage, you should know Scripture enough, and I will promise you in my lifetime of preaching in 18 years, I've preached false doctrine. I'm a flawed man. But guess what? God didn't tell you, listen to the preacher and just go with it. He says, test every word that is taught. Well, how do you test it? You don't just go, do I, did I like that? When Brian says, I don't love God if I disobey and don't love people, I'm just not loving God. Is that true? Well, that's what the Bible said. Brian didn't say it. So, yes, it's true. So, we don't, we don't like preachers and we don't like churches because they tell us things we don't like. Well, then go to the Bible and see if it says it. Don't cherry pick the Bible, by the way. Read the whole Bible. Don't pull a verse out. Philippians 4.13 is not about athletic career. Just You're like, well, I used to write it on everything in college. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what Paul was talking about? Being in poverty. And he's saying, I can make it through anything. If I got a lot or I got a little, it doesn't matter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And all the athletes, we all ride it on our hats and our cleats. And we go, I can do all things. I hit this home run in Christ who strengthens me. You know, well, that's, guess what? It's a cherry picking a verse. So you can't love your neighbor in your power unless the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit can't live inside of you unless Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord. Again, it's not about going to church. It's not about being dunked, sprinkled, baptized, saying a prayer. It's about Jesus coming and leading you in repentance of your sin, and you bow on your knee in lordship to him. That means he's the boss. He's the boss of your house. You're not the boss. The Bible does say, wives, submit to your husband. You know what it says before that? Both of you submit to God. God's the boss. Everybody say, God's the boss. If he's not the boss, he's not the Lord. And if he's not the Lord, then you're not saved and you're going to be in hell. And you can't love your neighbor. You can't even interact with people on planet Earth without God. You can't do that. You say, well, I know, I know how to love people. No, you don't. Only God does. And he can give you that revelation. But he can't give you that revelation unless you've received him as Savior. But I don't think that... I think that's a lot, some of the problem. But I think a lot of the problem... It's repentance for salvation for some of us. We just need to give our life to Christ. But I think a lot of the church is stuck because we don't repent for restoration. We've got this pileup of sin that we haven't confessed to God about. And this is why our neighborhoods are on our nerves. And you've put up a bigger fence and, you know, all these. I, I don't know what you've done. I'm just saying, if you live in your neighborhood, it's not for your seclusion. It's for God's glory. If you live on a bunch of land, it's not so you can have a bunch of land and pass it on to your kids. It's so that you can use that for God's glory. I know that bothers your flesh, but your flesh needs to die. If that bothers you, guess what? It shows that God is still working. If it doesn't bother you, then you need to be afraid. If you can just sit on your stuff and all the things that you have or the little bit that you have, some of us, we gauge, we, well, I don't really do anything because I don't have all the stuff they've got. You have exactly what you need for us to reach the 69,000 people here. You have 
exactly what you need for us because you're not alone. It doesn't matter if you have a little or a lot. God, in the hands of God, a, a, a fish, a couple fish, and a few loaves of bread feeds 5,000 people. And if you've ever been here for a Thanksgiving meal and watched the mashed potatoes, you understand that. <laughs> but Jesus is saying all of redemption, all of history hang on these two great purposes. That humans love God with all their heart. And from that, overflow with love to their neighbor. Now turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 10. The Dr. Luke. Sounds like a rapper name, doesn't it? Dr. Luke. But in the book of Luke, here's what I want to answer a question. So if you want to write this question, we're going to answer this. Who is my neighbor? Because a man asks that very question. Because some of you, okay, I love my neighbor, but who's my neighbor, Brian? Well, good. I'm glad you asked. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 29. It says, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, the man who's in front of Jesus. He says, and who is my neighbor? Now, if you know anything about Christ and you've been reading your Bible and you've been following the Lord, you know that Jesus rarely answers something straight out. So let's look at this text and let's see who the neighbor is. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest came. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. So too a Levi, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, somebody who would have been considered not worthy to even get near a Jew, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, they took out two silver coins. He took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him, go and do likewise. I find it interesting that Jesus never told him who his neighbor was. But Jesus told him he should be the neighbor. See, most of us are worried about what people we should love on when if you will be the person that will just love, you don't have to decide if they're like you or not like you. You say, well, man, sometimes that's hard. That's hard. Well, you should first love those, those around you are my neighbors. Those around me are my neighbors. So write that down because that's one thing, just the people around you. Look to somebody, look to the person to your left right now, to the left, and say, howdy, neighbor. Now look to your right and say, howdy, neighbor. There you go. So the people around you say, I ain't your neighbor. Listen to what Jesus said. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. Well, that's easy. Love the people around you. In fact, you're sitting more than likely beside people that you like. (laughs) 
Do not elbow your husband, okay? You chose to sit where you sat for some reason. Maybe you sat for acoustic reasons you wanted to see. Uh, I'm not sure why you sat where you sat, but more than likely it was because you liked the people around you. Or you made your kids sit there and they're thinking, no, they made me sit here. These evil people who hold me prison in this place called home. Uh, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love one, uh, one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? That feels so good. Especially if we're really acting Christian, it's so good to hang around each other. I mean, we're supposed to be the happiest people on the planet. We're supposed to encourage one another daily. We should be full of joy. Not, we're not always, but I mean... That one's easy. Then you say, well, sometimes me and my spouse, we don't get along. It's hard to love my spouse as a neighbor. Well, I understand that. But the Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. But even if you can't get to that, listen to this. Write this down. My enemy is my neighbor. My enemy is my neighbor. Do you know that? Your enemy is your neighbor. Because you're called to love your enemy. We're going to read the verse here in just a second. Your enemy, everybody say, my enemy is. Yeah, don't say it out loud. We all have enemies. Some by your making, just be honest, and some by not your making. But here's what Jesus said. You have heard it was said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yes. See, right there it is in the Bible, Brian. I don't have to love my... No, no, no. Context. But I tell you, love your enemies. So who should I love? Love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Everybody, even your enemies. That may be your parents right now. Guess what? If you're loving God with all your heart as you claim, then you will love your enemies. And he says, and pray for those who persecute you. So maybe we quit asking, don't ask, who is my neighbor, but ask, what kind of person am I? Quit asking who is my neighbor and just ask yourself, what kind of person am I or what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? Is there a line that we draw in the sand of who we will love? Now, this isn't a message that says nobody has to change. When you come and encounter God, you will change. That's exactly how you know that you're following Jesus. If nothing changes, you're probably not saved. And that's a lot of people in the South. If celebration doesn't change from this week to next week, we need to not doubt our salvation, but we need to come to God and repent either for salvation or for restoration. Something's got to change. Otherwise, we've created a false God. Or we're avoiding the God whom we say we love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So how do I love my neighbor? Philippians chapter 2 says, Do nothing, in verse 3, out of selfish ambition or vain 
conceit, but in humility, which by the way comes from God, not from you. Consider others better than yourselves. That has to take God. Just think about it for just a second. Do you really think honestly in your flesh that you think other people are better than you? You have a list of people that you're better than and you deserve more than they do. At work, at your school, maybe in your own house. You know, your parents love your, your siblings more than they love you. But you're better. Man, that, that was always in my house. I know my sister is loved more by the whole family. You can go through just the pictures. There's no pictures of the boys. Now, it might have been because we was in the woods shooting each other with BB guns. That was paintball back in the day. One pump rule, okay? Unless nobody's looking. Then you get three in. But the, the pictures in my family, my sister is everywhere. You know, just constantly everywhere. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interest. By the way, it's okay to put your mask on first before you help somebody else out. You need to get your junk together. Not perfect, but be walking toward... If you're not walking toward Jesus, start walking towards Jesus and bring somebody with you. Each one of you should not only look on to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So how do I love my neighbor? Well, I do it that way. Again, it comes back to what kind of person do we want to be as a church? What kind of people do we want to be? The motive and the attitude of the heart will always help or hinder the second greatest commandment. The way in which you love God will always help or hinder loving people. Jesus said this in Luke, a couple more passages, and we're going to wrap up and do something actively. Jesus said in Luke 6, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. So he brings it up again and puts another piece to it. Bless those who curse you. Come on, Jesus. You're getting all up in my grill. Pray for those who mistreat you. <laughs> Some of you are going to David's prayers. Lord, just destroy them. You know. <laughs> if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn, the other, turn to him the, the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic too. One of the most controversial verses I've seen in the Bible. Give to everyone who asks. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone take what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, does that sound like Jesus is saying we should allow people to run over us? No, it means that we understand the God economy, that we're willing to meet any need and every need. That we're willing to do that. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 19, 18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one, another, one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And he ends saying this. The Lord says, I am the Lord. Why do we love our neighbor as ourself? Because God said so. And he is God. And he allows us to walk in and out of obedience. And luckily, in his grace, he doesn't strike us dead. See, if there's ever a problem in my life loving people around me, then I have a loving God problem. 
if, the fir- if, if we will do the first commandment, then the second commandment is automatically fulfilled. It is the byproduct of us knowing that we're doing the first commandment. So when love week or when you live in your neighborhood, when you wake up, you should be loving people because you claim to love God. And if you're not loving people, pause and stand before your God. Get in his word and grow in relationship with him. I mean, what would it look like if you truly loved your neighborhood? What would it look like if we, as celebration, loved our neighbors? What would this church look like? What would this community look like? I mean, it's really simple. So your next step today is, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Your next step is this. I won't love my neighbor like myself. Now, help me out. Answer this. How will I love my neighbor? What do I have to do first? Love God. So really, the next step is I will love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the byproduct is I will love my neighbor as myself. See, if you think you know that you should love your neighbor... You know that you truly know it in your heart when you love your neighbor. That's why on these walls and back there, the band's getting ready to come up, and and this is going to be an active thing. I do not, do not take one of these prayer requests if you're not willing to do a few things, because the room's set, because you'll make me a liar. And I have lied before, by the way, so that makes me a liar. So you don't make me a liar, I make me a liar. But in this room was full of teachers and administrative staff, and I told them this. This Sunday, our people, Celebration Church, will take this paper, and I can promise you a couple things. I said they will pray for you as often as God puts you on their mind, and they will follow up with you with an email or a phone call throughout the semester to check on you. There's some met needs at the bottom. Uh, Dennis, can you grab me one of those? I just want to tell you a few things that are on there. One of them is, hey, what do you need? Well, our life group semester is about to start. And in our life group semester, what our life groups, we charge every life group to do a project. Now, we support Ebenezer's. We work out at Eckerd. We do Wilkes Pregnancy Care Center. There is no reason for our life groups to be stagnant this semester. And another thing that can happen is, do you have any needs that Celebration Church may be able to step up and meet? There's, most of these are filled out with something. So what do you do with that? You say, well, Brian, what if they're asking to buy stuff for their classroom and they need help with that? Well, take it on as a life group project. Pray about it. Uh, on this, there's their email, their school, their position, so you know what they're doing. And then how can we pray for you? How can we pray for your students or staff that you lead? And then what do you see may be the biggest struggle with educational staff? And then do you have any, any needs at Celebration Church? So I promise that you would follow up. If you took one of these, you would shoot them an email. I encourage you, if you take one of these today, you shoot them an email today and say, Hey, I got your, your prayer request from the luncheon on Tuesday, and I just want to tell you, I'm here for you. I'm going to be praying for you, and Celebration Church loves you. There is a group of people that will go and give their life to make sure that you understand that there's a God out there that loves you. So our next step is going to be action today. Now, I don't think there's enough of these for everybody in the room, so maybe you take one as a family, 
and y'all figure that out. Maybe a life group, maybe y'all figure that out here in just a second. Life groups join up and say, hey, let's take three of these and make sure it happens. But just, you don't have to rush this. But before we leave today, I would love to see all of these gone because that's a need that needs to be met. That's a neighbor that we need to love and they've let us know. And I think there's a greater level of accountability, don't you? That God will hold us to a standard of people that have said, hey, this is how I need help. And we as the church can step up and say, you know what? We serve an unlimited, all-powerful, completely loving God. And we're going to step in as him living inside of us. And we're going to love our neighbor as ourself. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me? Father, today we come. Would you put us in a position right now of humility to where our hearts are awakened to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, right in the middle of this service, we're going to actively love our neighbor as ourself. But Lord, it's what I don't want to happen, Lord, and would you guard our hearts from this, that this doesn't become another thing that we check off because our hearts, our flesh can be very religious where we take a paper and we check it off as complete. Lord, that's the danger of Love Week where we've done our service and we clap and say we've helped our community. But Lord, today and this past week is all about awakening our hearts to you and the plan that everything that we have and everything that we do, we're gonna leverage for your glory and for your fame. So Lord, as we just uh, actually move in this room and go to these boards and take off a prayer request or maybe look through a few before we take one, would you lead us to the right people? Would we step up and follow up and love on the, the teachers and the principals and administrative staff of our school? But most of all, Lord, we want to make it a moment where we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.